Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your host, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week in preparation for Sabbath, July 15th, we look at Lesson 3, The Power of the Exalted Jesus. With special guest, Dr. John Brunt, we'll take a deeper dive into Ephesians chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 in order to discover Jesus Christ shining through Ephesians. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at the Adventist Learning Community. Together, we love learning and have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into the study. Welcome, Sabbath School Rescue, and Michael, I am so stoked because we have such a wonderful guest with us today. We have, This quarter, we've we been so blessed, and so... Before we even begin with our memory text, we'll get back there. I'm I'm actually excited to introduce Dr. John Brunt, but Michael, you've known him for much longer and know so much more about him. Michael, mm. please give a deeper introduction. Well, that's just because he was our pastor when he was at, at Azure Hills. So we have a lot of great connections there and great memories. And so appreciate his biblical sermons, you know, just rooted in the word from week to week. But he also comes eminently qualified as a New Testament scholar. Yeah. I went to Emory and uh, did his doctoral degree there. So he is a very unusual, rare combination in that he has a pastor's heart and the passion of a scholar's mind intertwined together. So, John, welcome to to the Sabbath School Rescue. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here and lots and lots of memories of Michael and not only at Azure Hills, but also when he showed us around the Philippines. Oh, that's right. Oh, <laughs> great time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad well, we're still friends. Never forget him driving ride. through the traffic there. <laughs> you know, he's told me stories about that. I don't think I want to experience that for myself. <laughs> John is a witness. <laughs> well, we're going to get straight into the memory text here for lesson three. And it comes from Ephesians chapter one, verses 19 and 20. And then we're going to open it up because it opens up here in the next portion, talking about praying and Thanksgiving. And Dr. Brunt, I think you have some exciting takes on, on that So Ephesians chapter 1, 19 and 20, New King James Version, through the Holy Spirit, believers may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Should be able to say amen to that, right? Amen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So, yeah, beautiful, beautiful way to kind of begin the epistle after the introduction there, the welcome. We have this prayer from verses 15 to 23. And John, why don't, why don't you talk to us about this prayer? Well, first of all, the really interesting thing about it to begin with is mm. in the original language, this prayer from 15 to 23 is all one sentence. There's only one main verb in the whole thing. Oh. 179 words in Greek. Uh, The new revised standard has 207 words because you can put more in a Greek word than in an English word. And so you have 207 words, all one sentence. Now, no English translation leaves it as one sentence because it just gets too involved. And so we chop it into several sentences. But it seems to me we lose something in doing that because it seems a little bit disjointed. Why is he moving from this to that to something else? But if you understand it all as one sentence, it really all goes together as a very beautiful whole. 
Can you imagine, though, I don't know if they still do this in school, but when I was a kid in school, we had to diagram sentences. Can you imagine diagramming this sentence? You would need a huge spreadsheet to do it. Just thinking my English teacher <laughs> yeah. having to do that. <laughs> but, but just to kind of get the flow of the prayer, he hmm. starts out with a dependent clause that says, because I've heard about your faith and your love. And so that's kind of giving the reason behind the prayer. Because of this, I never cease praying. And that's where we get the one main verb in this whole thing. I mm. never cease praying. And I don't stop. I don't pause. That's really the main verb. I don't stop. And then it's giving thanks in my prayers for all of you. And then he goes on after he talks about what he is doing, which is praying for them. To give the reason, there are some so that's. I pray so that God will give you wisdom and revelation. And so that you will know the hope and the riches and the greatness of his power. So he gives the fact that he's praying and then the reasons for that. It's with a purpose. It's so that this will happen. But then when he talks about the greatness of his power, he puts in a different kind of dependent clause and says, which God accomplished. So this power, now he's going to explain the power. So it's so that you'll understand this power, but now let's explain this power. So what is this power? Well, this is the power which, and then he goes on to show the various things that God has done to display what this power is. He has mm. seen Christ at the right, well, he's raised him from the dead. He's seated him at the right hand. He's put everything under his feet. And finally, he's made him head of the church. And so we start out with this whole list of the things that God has done to show his power in Jesus Christ. And the last one then is something that's going to be very important for the whole letter of Ephesians, and that is that he's the head of the church. Amen. So because I've heard of your faith and love, I don't stop praying so that you'll understand this, so that you'll understand that, especially the power of God, which is displayed in raising him from the dead, seating him at the right hand, and making him head of the church. So it really does all fall together. It's not disjointed at all, at all like you might see in an English translation. It is one kind of perfect whole, but you still wouldn't want to diagram it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's and it's beautiful. And and not only do we begin, but we end Ephesians kind of with a prayer too, right? That's right. So exactly. chapter yes. three, 14 to 21, anything significant about that prayer? It's again one sentence. And again, usually broken down into more than that in English translations. Mm -hmm. But it's very similar, isn't it? Yes, it is. He is still it's talking about the fullness, which is in both prayers, that we we receive the fullness of Christ in this community of recognizing mm -hmm. that Christ is the head. By the way, one other thing, there's a, a, a kind of pair of bookends in the, in the letter that we may not see in English translations because they don't always translate the words the, the very same way. But in chapter 1, verse 20 in this prayer, it talks about the power, or pardon me, the 19, the working, this translation says, of God's great power. 
it's really not the word power, but because we've had the word power in the previous mm-hmm. sentence, but this is a word that means might. It's in Greek, kratos, from which we get words like autocrat and so forth, one who, who rules the power of his strength. Mm. So this is the power of God's strength is behind all of this. And then when you go to chapter 6, verse 10, where he starts this wonderful passage about the armor of Christ. Oh, yes. It with exactly the same words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. So those are kind of bookends. It's in the prayer at the beginning. It's in chapter 6, so that we have the might of God's strength being the foundation at either end, the pillars at the beginning and the end of the book. You know, that that kind of brings us towards the lesson that talks about a little bit about that might and that power. So Monday and Tuesday's lesson, I'm going to kind of tie this in together. It's talking about the experiencing insight from the Holy Spirit, because in Ephesians chapter one, verses 17 through 19, it talks about, I think particularly in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. But then you get into verses, verse 20, which goes on, talks about he who worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So can you talk about the spirit and this resurrecting power and how it ties into this prayer? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that is really going to come to a head in the next lesson, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> we're looking at that resurrecting power right now in Jesus, and we're seeing what God is doing in Jesus. And I guess we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves, but in the next lesson, when we get to Ephesians 2, we're yes. going to get a real surprise about <laughs> where this power also goes on to work. But here we see this beautiful picture of what it does in Jesus that God raises him from the dead and not doesn't just raise him from the dead, but seats it at him at his right hand reminds me of revelation where it talks about Jesus being at the, the lamb being at the center of the throne. Christ becomes overall with everything under his feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And above I- powers that people might be impressed with, in this world. Mm. You know, I, I was going to ask you to expand on that because I, I think sometimes we hear that, but what's the significance of that? I think sometimes we, I know in my own mind and my own heart, sometimes I skirt over that, but if we could just resonate there for just a moment. Well, you know, I think, and again, we'll talk more about this probably when we get to chapter two, but I think in, in Paul's kind of vision here, there is the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. Yes. There are kind of two tiers in both. In the heavenly realm, there's God's throne at the top, but then there are these evil powers as part of the heavenly realm as well. Mm-hmm. And then when you get down to the earthly realm, there are the thrones of human beings that are very much often tied to these evil powers in heaven. And then here we are, way down at the very bottom of this, (laughs) underneath the earthly thrones, underneath the evil powers of heaven, and 
God's throne way at the top. And I think Paul is here opening the way through this whole thing. Oh, wow. We're not really way down there at the bottom of all of this, because whatever you might think about those earthly thrones and how impressive they are, and remember, they're part of the Roman Empire, which is very impressive. Right. And no matter how much you might worry about those evil powers that are beyond what we can see, this power of God has broken through all of that and put Christ up above it all. Oh, you know, I, I I love that because I got I got this imagery of like a lifeline being dropped down through all those earthly powers and everything else, and it's a direct link to the heavenly power to the heavenly heavenly realm and that's through the power and the resurrection and the life and and just power of christ and so i i love that imagery you just you just shared with us yeah not only that but we have an invitation to participate in that power too right through through christ's resurrection so as you know we're going through this introductory and there's also parallels with some of Paul's other writings so I'd be kind of interested you know I know you're a passionate scholar of Paul it, it wouldn't hurt to kind of pause and reflect how this kind of fits in with his his wider repertoire of of his his writings that we do have mm -hmm. Well certainly the whole idea of Christ conquering the powers mm -hmm. is there in other books as well it's there in Colossians it's there in Galatians uh, again, where Christ is above these powers. Human beings don't need to worry about these powers. And often the powers were associated with ways that you were supposed to placate them. You know, what do you do to kind of make these powers happy so they don't get you? And uh, over and over again, what Paul emphasizes is that you don't have to worry about them. Mm. You know, I, I, I love that as well, because I think sometimes we s focus so much on the issue or the problem when we should keep our eyes on the solution. And the solution is forgetting all those other things, <laughs> looking unto the throne of Christ, looking unto Christ, the author and finish of our faith. And then those other things, if you will, grow strange, strangely dim, the light of his glory and grace. And so I once again, I, it was beautiful imagery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's a human temptation here, right, that we like to focus naturally on uh, or can potentially focus on the negative instead of the positive. And so here we have spiritual power that's that that positive that can break down those barriers. But and I think there's even a temptation as Adventists. We we tended, you know, I thinking of the apocalyptic, you know, in the end. And so suddenly every time there's something terrible that happens in the world. Um, it's as if, well, Jesus is coming and, and I do believe Jesus is coming, but, but the greatest thing that, that tells of Christ's return is the fact of the proclamation, of the everlasting gospel. And so when we lift up Jesus, we're actually doing the most, it's the greatest sign of Christ's soon return and, you know, to, to keep our eyes fixed, fixed on Jesus as Adventists, our view of the end needs to be, remain fundamentally Christ-centered <laughs> and gospel-centered, right? Absolutely. You know, I think of Acts where the disciples, you know, are, are seeing Jesus off in a sense, and they want to know, is this the time? Is this it? Is this the time you're going to set up your kingdom? And you know what Jesus says is, it's, it's not for you to know that. Don't worry about that. It's, it's not for you to know. But then after he goes up, the angels come down and say, you know, why are you looking up there into heaven? And then I think it's very significant that they say, this same Jesus 
Amen. He's going to return. Mm-hmm. And I think in our apocalyptic, we sometimes forget that. We have one Jesus in the Gospels who is kind and loving and gracious and reveals God's grace. And then we have a very different apocalyptic Jesus (laughs) that we really got to be worried about. And I think we need to remind people that when we talk about apocalyptic, that is this same Jesus. That's what the angel said, this same Jesus. You know, I, I, I love that because as we look at the Pharisees, they were looking to the messianic king coming and not the lowly, not the lowly priest that came. I think sometimes we do the same thing in our, in our church when we preach apocalyptically as we are looking and saying, well, we're not interested in that priest. We we're waiting for that King to come back, but the priest and the King are all one and the same. And he resonates more with the priest and we, we can look unto him once again, which brings us to this verses 22 and 23, especially in talking about the church and what, what does this prayer have to do for the church? And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What, what does this mean for the church? Well, it's certainly an exalted picture of the church, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, a, there, there's so much individualism in our culture, Oof. but I think it's very hard to understand Ephesians, because we, you know, not my mother, not my father, but it's me, oh Lord. And it's, <laughs> it's, everything is about me, isn't it? Oh. And what gives me the most spiritual value, if it's being up in the mountains, why, who needs church? It's just me and Jesus. But Paul has a very profound picture of the community. And I don't think Paul could imagine somebody who said, well, I don't need the church. I'm, I'm just a Christian on my own. You know, it's just me and Jesus. Because for Paul, the way we experience Jesus is through his body. Yes. And we are part of that body. And I don't think he can imagine Christianity being a follower of the way with, with being an indiv- simply an individual thing. Mm. Jesus is the head of the church, and it's a body. And we are not simply autonomous individuals. We are parts of a body. And we aren't the whole body. We're just a part of it. And uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, a very different picture, I think, than our American culture, and one that makes it hard for us to understand Paul in Corinthians— And in Romans 12, and here through the whole letter of Ephesians, where the church plays such a vital part in his understanding of what it means to be a Christian, to be part of that body. I just want to hover here for just a second, because maybe there's someone who's listening, and they've, I mean, I know there's times in my life where I've battled that individualistic view for so long, and It's just been over the last 10 years where I'm really opening up myself spiritually of of holding myself accountable spiritually of of joining not just the church, but groups and people of of reliance on others of, you know, of course, depending fully on Christ. But but there's something about community. What plea, what appeal can you give to our audience to be a part of the church community? 
Well, I think that, again, we are never the whole thing. We are a part of it. And unless you find your your place within that community, within that part, and see what it is that you contribute to others. And, of course, for Paul, that contributing can be all kinds of different things, like the list in Romans. You know, it can be not just the teacher and the administrator, but it can be the person who is cheerful. Hospitality, right? There we go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cheerfulness. That, that's one. I mean, that's a gift. I think we'd use a lot more of in a lot of churches. <laughs> All right. Um, we need more happy and the happy Sabbath. Yeah, that's right. And uh, but but giving that the sense that I'm a part of something bigger than myself and that I have a responsibility to be giving something. Amen. I'm not really a Christian if I'm not playing a role in giving in that body. That is vital for Paul. But as I say, it really goes against our culture. You know, I mean, I I used to live in Southern California, so did Michael. You can just go out on the freeway and, you know, there are six lanes and one of them is the HOV lane. And HOV is high occupancy, which is defined rather mildly as any car with two people in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, just more than one. <laughs> it, only, it only takes two people to be in the HOV lane, and yet you'll see five lanes going along stopped bumper to bumper, and this HOV lane over here with nobody in it because we're all on our own, you know? I, mm-hmm. I can't carpool with somebody else because I may need to stop and do this on the way home or what an uh, analogy. I'm sure a lot of those people are going to the same place and coming from the same place, but we'd rather be on our own. And I mean, I know that feeling. I'm part yes. of that culture, you know, I am too. Uh, but it is so deeply ingrained in us that I think it makes us makes it hard to read Ephesians. <laughs> you know, you, you really touched on something as well. I've, a lot of young people that I've talked to, they said, I'm just not getting much out of church. I'm not getting much out of the community. And I think you just hit the nail on the head, which is, yes, but what are you giving? Because part of getting is actually giving when Paul talks about is more blessed to give than is to receive. He's talking about more than just gifts. He's talking about our lives. And, and so I, I'm really hoping I, I'm talking to myself here, but that I, I will stop envying the HOV lane and start participating in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I was just thinking about this as, as you know, we're preparing for this and I was just checking my social media. I saw a good friend from, from college and they're just saying, you know, no one's called us this last year. No one has reached out to us, you know, and, or reached out to me specifically. Right. And I was just thinking about this as we've been talking that, you know, maybe this is an invitation that the Holy Spirit may be saying, instead of waiting for everyone to call you, maybe the Holy Spirit is nudging or, you know, this is an opportunity for you to call those others. And so rather than constantly focused on, you know, what we're receiving, what can we give? And then when we give, we receive, but but it's it's for that purpose. I think we just have this backwards view of of church. It's it's not about me. It's about the privilege and opportunity to serve. Amen. It's not about me. It's about us and having the us mentality, having a collectivist mentality. That the I mean that the Ephesians and Colossians Romans is is written in. Yeah. Well, I think we've covered a lot of territory. I'm really excited. Thank you, John, for joining us with your rich experience. And it's a great privilege Thank to have you, you on this. Thank you for the privilege. Absolutely. So until next week, this is the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast. This is Sue. 
in swoops signing out signing out as we wrap up we want to give a shout out to our sponsor the adventist learning community a ministry of the north american division of seventh-day adventists you can join us each week by subscribing on spotify itunes wherever you like to listen to podcasts also make sure you share with as many people as possible and be sure to give us feedback by rating our podcast and go to our website sabbathschoolrescue.org for each weekly episode